Hello everyone and welcome to Pursuit of Wellness podcast. Um, I'm, your, I'm your host Daria Tiesler and uh, as always very excited uh, to have another amazing, amazing guest. Um, trust me, I'm always uh, feeling blessed when they say yes, they come in and they joining because uh, my mission and mission of our podcast is to share with you the best knowledge about uh, health performance optimization so you can actually take something for yourself and improve your life improve life of, of your family and and kind of achieve anything you want uh, in your life with the knowledge and information that uh, we are sharing uh, with you and today as i said again amazing uh, person uh, brandon dean vermeyer uh, Brendan is a functional medicine consultant, researcher, educator, writer, and speaker. He's also a board-certified holistic health practitioner, master nutrition coach, master personal trainer, uh, USAW sports performance coach, and CrossFit trainer. I hope I didn't forget anything on the way, uh, Brendan. Um, we, together with Brendan, we're discussing today uh, brain inflammation and how whatever we share with you can optimize your mental health. We do both believe that it's a very important time to share this type of knowledge. And I think personally, there is not yet enough outside uh, about how nutrition and lifestyle and simple things like vitamin D can improve uh, optimization and how improve mental health optimization. So I'm shutting down here myself. Uh, Brendan, once again, welcome uh, to the podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Daria. It, it, it means a lot. I, I always have a lot of fun with these types of conversations because as you said, mental health education and awareness has never been needed more. It's really, it's not just alarming, it's really disturbing to see how bad the mental health statistics have really gotten, uh, how it's really been established as a comorbidity of chronic disease. And then of course with the COVID crisis, it just really blew it up all the more. And so it's a little bothersome to me that it really did get that bad but then having, you know, the, the COVID crisis, it wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like a nuclear bomb on top of what was already a huge problem. So now it's at this just absolute crisis point and everything about what's going on with the COVID crisis on top of the um, not just standard American lifestyle and culture, but it's also just the kind of westernized, modernized type of culture and lifestyle and we're starting to see this sort of standard American lifestyle and diet starting to spread across the world and everywhere it goes, chronic disease follows in foot. So it's a real problem. And this is where uh, our healthcare system is speaking for America is not at all created to, to be able to really be that constructive for this type of problem. So it really comes down to a lifestyle and environmental and, and psychological induced uh, crisis and pandemic, should we go that far to say. And so it really comes down to education, awareness, and empowerment. There, there is no other way. We can't medicate our way out of this problem. We've been doing that for a long time, and it's not helping. And I'm sure we'll get into some of what's coming down the pharmaceutical pipeline, because 
they're already working on some new stuff, but it actually directly conflicts with the current infectious disease crisis that we're in. So there's no other solution other than the self-healer movement and people educating and empowering their lifestyle, their environment, their psychology in order to uh, start taking back their mental and metabolic health. Yes, it's a very beautiful summary. And uh, I remember uh, the, other, um, the other day we've been recording with Ben Bickman about uh, insulin. And exactly the same topic coming. It is just nuclear bomb that just kind of crashed and uh, no one was prepared for it, but uh, we've been aware and as a practitioners that there is a crisis of chronic health conditions and those conditions develop other, over years and we just need to do much more uh, to, um, like, like we said, in nutrition, in lifestyle and uh, mental health and uh, any other uh, approaches, we need to push them forward in order to uh, change this. Right, and you're touching some <laughs> gentle topics around pharmaceuticals and um, how um, you know medical society is not kind of fully prepared to uh, tackle the lifestyle diseases because this is not what they've been told. Right, I always uh, say uh, I don't uh, promote any work against uh, that because uh, I had a grandfather who. Um, probably too early was medically um, uh, treated for uh, insulin issue at his 40s uh, uh, with drugs, right? And we know that uh, diabetes type 1 can be prevent, is preventable disease, is lifestyle disease, but as been said, at the late uh, stages of his life, if not drugs, he would die much earlier, right? So uh, I really always want, and I'm sure you as well, find a beautiful um, symphony between uh, the art and the science and between art and the, and the medicine. So uh, Brendan, another thing is that we have very similar career <laughs> path, right? I think that's what uh, is exciting about uh, when I'm uh, speaking with you. Um, can you share with us your personal and professional story? How did it happen? You created an amazing institute that you are teaching uh, and educating uh, doctors, medical doctors, practitioners. Um, and then on site also you've got, a, a, I believe, successful practice. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. It's It's been a, an interesting journey, uh, to say the least. I've so I'll, I'll try to give like the synopsis of what's been kind of a, you know, 11, 13, arguably this story my whole life, ultimately, because uh, my very first job, I was 17 years old, scrubbing toilets at a corporate health club. And at that point in my life, it was my dream and aspiration to become a Navy SEAL. Um, I wanted to be like a, a real life superhero, you know, badass dude. And, um, <laughs> and, and so I pursued that. So when I was 18 years old, I, I qualified for the Navy SEAL program. I signed a six year Navy SEAL contract. Uh, unfortunately to make what, what was kind of a long story, a little bit shorter and more concise when I was about halfway through boot camp, they found I had a, a an injury that they deemed pre-existing and that required surgery. So they medically discharged me and, and sent me home. And at the time is, you know, it was pretty devastating to have what felt like my life dream just sort of ripped away from me. And of course, at 18 years old, like you don't know anything about anything. You're just trying to figure out life and figure out who you are, what you want to do. So 
I was always obviously very passionate about fitness and nutrition. And I didn't really care as much about health at the time. I was young and indestructible. So it was more just about being really fit and, you know, fueling the meat suit with, you know, optimal fuel, uh, more from like a performance standpoint. So the, the gym that I scrubbed toilets at and worked out at all the time, I was very well known there because I was just always there. And so uh, I was always kind of interested in being a personal trainer or nutritionist and everybody there, all the trainers, they all knew me. So um, the personal train manager actually kind of approached me and, and I didn't really want to go to college. Uh, school, like academia is just not really my thing. I was always a great student. You know, I graduated high school with like a 3.86 and, you know, I made the grade. I was a smart kid, but I just, I can't apply myself to things that don't interest me. And, and I'm not a dog. I don't jump through hoops just because somebody tells me to jump through hoops. So um, that just didn't resonate the college lifestyle and all of that. And I, I always felt like such a alien anyways, I couldn't relate to my peers. So um, instead I got certified as a personal trainer and got hired on and promoted at, at the gym. Um, and that really gave me a lot of exposure. I, I worked for a really great uh, health club corporation, billion dollar corporation. And what they do is, is really amazing, but very science-based, very uh, evidence-based, very um, holistic minded. And so that was, that was me starting my career. And even as an 18 year old trainer, nutrition coach with no experience, I was being exposed to, you know, VO2 testing, metabolic testing, lab testing. And, you know, we were all taught how to speak to lab testing, how to sell lab testing. You know, why, why would I do lab testing at my gym? And, you know, we were, we were taught why and how to convey that. So even from the very beginning, I, I was trained in this way of, hey, well, let's use this objective data that is blood work, that is, you know, VO2 oxygen uh, exchange testing, um, you know, in-body scanners to measure body fat and all this cool data to just guide the health building and health coaching process. And I just fell in love with the science of the human metabolism because I wasn't one of those guys. I didn't really, I, I liked training people. You know, I, it's fun to take somebody through a workout and train them. Um, but that wasn't really my thing. And movement science wasn't really my thing. I liked the internal stuff. I liked the metabolic biochemistry and physiology. And so then I looked at it as uh, how can I make it easier for my clients to get better? You know, how can I make it as scientifically sound as possible, like work smarter, not harder. Because even with my own uh, performance pursuits, you can only work so hard. And I was working about as hard as a human can work. So at some point, like if you want to get better results, you, you just have to work smarter. So I really just started applying that same logic to my clients that want to lose weight and have metabolic syndrome and are pre-diabetic or have cardiovascular issues or whatever it is. And so it wasn't about, you know, running blood work to, to treat the lab results. No, it's just, that's the objective sensitive data that's going to show us, you know, Hey, change happens internally before externally. So, and we all know if, if you've ever had a weight loss client, you know, they step on the scale and they freak out and it's self-sabotage. So 
not a good way to measure progress, whereas blood work or VO2 testing was a very sensitive way to show them and give their neurolimbic dopamine system that feedback of, hey, we're making progress, have some faith, like stick with it, let's keep going. Um, and so it really just kind of kept going from there. I just kept diving deeper and deeper into the science and I started moving my way kind of down the spectrum from uh, performance to then health dysfunction. And then before I knew it, I was really starting to stumble into the space of pathophysiology and disease and chronic illness and functional medicine. So I came at it from the holistic angle. And what I want to clarify for the audience is this idea of functional medicine, which is very popular. There's no such thing as a doctor of functional medicine. That credential doesn't exist yet. There's no functional medical school. So it's a paradigm and it's not even really a concrete established reproducible one. There's, it, it's a free for all industry. And so what we're seeing is you've got, you know, traditionally trained doctors, whether they're MDs, NDs, DOs, or even registered dietitians, uh, DCs, chiropractors. And then you have, you know, health coaches and nutritionists and, you know, trainers and biohackers. And we're kind of meeting in the middle. And that's what functional medicine is. It's, it's the, the melting pot that's right in the middle. So how you came from that, you might come from one spectrum or the other, but that's really where it is. And I think that's really important to understand because I am very well established and respected in the functional medicine space. And everybody asks me like, well, how did you get there? And it's like, that's, th there's no clear path. That's what you're dealing with. Uh, and so as I was making my rounds through the functional medicine space, I've, I've lectured all around the country from New York to San Diego and a lot of places in between primarily lecturing to medical doctors, but you know, it's all sorts of, it's a melting pot and the, the diversity is what gives us our, our power and our efficacy. But on the flip side of that coin, it also makes it kind of hard to find the right type of professional that can help you with your health issues. So we have a lot of work to do in the functional medicine space, but I was really caught off guard by how, even in the functional medical space, it still feels pretty reductionistic. It still feels pretty medical in the sense of like, okay, we're going to run thousands of dollars of all these labs. Some of them are really not clinically established. They're like experimental tests that don't have any clear significance and the te technology is really questionable. So spend tons of money on that and then just dump tons of supplements, maybe a few lifestyle tweaks. And so this is where I really do think that holistic health coaches and more the, the fitness, the nutrition, the lifestyle, the psychology, those are the things that we need to be hammering more, not just medications, not just supplements. And so I guess my point, if I were to critique my own industries, we're still too pill, you know, run the labs, build a protocol, give them all the pills. And that that's too much the focus, whereas we have the environment, the lifestyle, the psychology, the nutrition, the fitness, that's where, that's the most cost effective. So I, I'd really like to see more as the functional medicine industry kind of establishes itself, becomes a little bit more regulated. I hope to see an integrative system where we're using the full spectrum and, you know, there's, there's a time for drugs, there's a time for supplements. But at the end of the day, like we said at the beginning, like we are in a lifestyle environment, psychological crisis. So 
that should be really where the focus is. It's a very beautiful explanation and I completely agree with you. Uh, I remember watching once on uh, YouTube um, some, I just don't remember the names, uh, but the guys were doctors, uh, osteopaths were explaining um, how important it is to follow this traditional way of looking what is functional medicine. So looking at the root causes and when we look at that functional medicine tree, we're talking about nutrition, soil, environment, light, air, mm -hmm. relationships. Um, how do we care about ourselves? How do we care about people that are um, in our environment? I probably repeat myself. So exactly uh, what you said. And uh, thank you so much again to uh, making a point about functional testing. And I think as a practitioner, we uh, we going from this doing <laughs> testing for on every single client lots of testing because we're excited about it but as we're getting more experience we're beginning to understand that um, at least with me i don't need to do all of them let's focus all on the basics and once the basics are right the body has the power to heal on the brackets and do the job right but um i also think sometimes um is other way around but it needs to have the right environment to be able to do the things that meant to do and that is where functional medicine practitioner is a great person to to look for so they addressing that environment they, they improving the terrain right so it's like a all in between um but um Amazing. Thank you so much, Brendan. I really love it what you said. Brendan, what wellness means to you? It's a wellness podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, to, to, to your credit, that was very well said too. And you're, you're touching on some, some big things there, talking about virome and light and terrain. Uh, so that, like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well connected in this space. I can tell when somebody knows their stuff and I can tell, like, you know, a thing or Thank two. Thank you. So Thank you no, so much. It's, it's impressive. Anybody that's talking about, you know, virome and stuff is like, all right, you, you know what's going on. Um, but you said that very well. And so, you know, I always think about wellness and health um, as a pyramid, right? And so with uh, the functional medicine, this root cause paradigm, and, and of course, we have to even sort of I, you said root cause is, which usually people say root cause, singular. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's root cause is, like you said, it's it's never one thing. And that's something, again, a little bit of a critique against my industry. There's too much uh, sensationalism around, well, what's my root cause? That's misleading because then you're going to go on this wild goose hunt and you go pay tons of money to this person, that person, you get a different root cause from each person. So are they all right or are they all wrong? It's like, well, maybe, maybe a little bit of both, right? Like if you have multiple root causes, you've got mold, you've got dysbiosis, you've got heavy metals, you've got, it's, it's a compilation of input signals that are destructing the fabric of the human metabolism. And so when I think about wellness, what matters most of that pyramid? It's the foundation. Uh, and, and to me, when I think of the foundation, I really kind of think about um, environment and psychology because there's the literal environment, the, the literal environment that you're living in. So if you have a bunch of mold growing in your closet or, um, but at the same time, let's say you're in a very toxic relationship. Toxic is toxic. Whether it's mold toxins or you're in a relationship with a narcissist, like either way, that's very destructive. So 
I like to be thinking about the psycho-emotional environment and the literal physical environment uh, as really that foundation and kind of a step up from there is, is more so your lifestyle with the nutrition, the exercise, the, the sleep and rest, the uh, stress management, right? And then you just kind of build up from there of, okay, well then how do you then optimize or supplement or biohack or do you need those medications? But, uh, you know, with functional medicine, like you're saying, I think there's too much emphasis put on like the 20%, which is the root causes and the need for drugs or supplements. And a lot of times there's not enough emphasis on that 80% of the foundation because uh, a lot of the clients that I work with, I sort of divide them into two general categories of either this is really just like standard American metabolism, good old Uncle Sam, and that's the prediabetes, that's the hypertensive, that's the cardiovascular, that's the fatty liver, it's that you're overweight and you haven't done a push-up ever, right? And I don't say that to be mean, it's just, it's the basics. We don't really need to overcomplicate it. Um, but then there's, there's another subgroup, the I'd say 20, 30%, but I do feel like this demographic is growing more and more uh, of these are the kind of complex chronic illness as we call it. Cause you know, just, just chronic disease, all the standard American stuff, that's really not complicated. <laughs> it, it's, it's really not, you know, and, and that's where I joke with, uh, you know, CrossFit being one of my credentials. I think the CrossFit movement has done more for public health than functional medicine has you know, like look at the, the bang for your buck, the cost efficacy of you're moving your body functionally with intensity, you're eating a paleo whole food diet, you're being social and have a community, which is such a big part of psychological well-being. So, uh, you know, as far as bang for your buck, <laughs> go do a CrossFit membership over, you know, $5,000 of lab testing that might not even be, you know, reliable or, or helpful. So, um, but with all that said, that other 20, 30% that's growing, that is the complex chronic illness where they already had metabolic dysfunction. 88% of Americans are metabolically ill, but then you start putting in all of these uh, modern stressors on top of that, the amount of plastic that we're ingesting through our environment. One of my friends just the other day was ranting about this and we consume, we inhale and um, and, and ingest enough plastic to make a credit card every single week. So over the course of a year, that's 52 credit cards that are going through your, your well, going through or maybe just getting sequestered in your body or, you know, mold toxins or, uh, you know, viruses. So it becomes a much bigger conversation of because of the damage that we have done to Mother Nature and our own home planet, on top of our lifestyle induced illnesses, we don't really stand a chance, which is why we, we all need to kind of wake up and get with the program. <laughs> yes, 100%. Amazing explanation. Um, let's go to, uh, into brain inflammation. Um, I think that is, again, the inflammation is very funky word <laughs> those days, yeah. right? And now we're adding brain. <laughs> it's even uh, harder to understand what we mean, right? So if you could explain brain and what is brain inflammation, what triggered brain inflammation, and what are the most common symptoms of brain inflammation? Absolutely. So to start, I think one of the, the greatest fallacies of, of the human species is binary thinking. Uh, we, we think in, in black and white, yes or no, zero or one, 
and that's not reality. You know, computers operate in, in binary algorithms, but humans, we fallaciously do that too. And, and that's, not, that's not reality. And so my, my point with that is everything's a spectrum, everything. Uh, inflammation is a spectrum. It's not something you do or don't have. It's how much and when based on the constant input signals that your body and mind are being exposed to every second of every day. It's in constant flux because, you know, we, we all agree that, okay, chronic disease is driven by chronic inflammation. Yes, that's true. That's very medically established. Nobody argues with that. Uh, and now what we see is it's not different with mental health. Mental illness is primarily driven by inflammation. Now, yes, there are mental conditions such as autism spectrum or bipolar or schizophrenia that they have a more pronounced uh, genetic component and epigenetic expression, right? Uh, and again, that's a spectrum in, in itself, the autism spectrum disorder. We, we now call it a spectrum disorder and it applies to everything. So, you know, anybody and everybody will at some point experience the symptoms of depression or anxiety, which is really just driven by inflammation. Now, if you have the genetic diathesis of you're, you're predisposed to autism behavior or ADHD, which I, I was diagnosed with ADHD and major depressive disorder when I was 21. So the question is like, are your genetics on fire? Inflammation is the cleansing fire that the body uses to fight pathogens and remodel tissues. That's what it is. And yeah, the science of it is super complex. It'll make your head spin with interleukin-6 and interferon gamma, but then interleukin-10 is anti-inflammatory. So yeah, the, the science, the molecular science is really complicated, but we can just simply say that, hey, under normal physiological circumstances, um, inflammation is healing. That's what it is there for, to protect from pathogens and remodel tissues, period, clean up tissues. So I like to think of it as there's, you know, they, they will burn a field, uh, a controlled burn to, to cleanse the field and, and, and burn down the waste so that the, the nutrients are recycled back into the, the soil so that new life can take root and grow. So that's one scenario, but then there's an out of control forest fire. And that's what chronic inflammation really is. It's a fire that's burning out of control. It's not being uh, controlled at all. And it just keeps burning and burning. Now, of course, on the flip side of that, there's two terms I think are helpful to understand. There's inflammaging, which is just uh, inflammation, uh, inflammation increasing as you age. And then there's immunosenescence, which is really just the immune system is getting old, it's getting worn out, and inflammation starts creeping up as part of that. And so really what we're seeing in today's world is our modern environment, our modern lifestyle is so pro-inflammatory that everybody has a higher degree of inflammation than is normal physiologically. And so this is why all of these conditions, cardiovascular, diabetes, or uh, autoimmunity, cancer, neurodegeneration, mental illness, they're all just comorbidities and it really just comes down to the underlying theme of chronic inflammation. So it could be acute and severe, you get a viral infection, you have a fever for five days and you have, you know, kind of heightened inflammation afterwards as that cytokine storm is burning out of control versus that meta-inflammation that you're just cooking long-term 
So, and it's not medically, right? Like you, you go to the doctor, they're like, oh, your blood work looks normal. Uh, you're not dying right now. There's, there's not really any justification for drugs right now, but, but you're not okay. You're, you're simmering long-term and that's really where, where the chronic illness manifests. Yes, uh, actually, uh, one of our my question to you was how brain inflammation uh, and general inflammation contribute to mental health illness. And uh, then while I was listening to uh, you, I said I should actually said how chronic inflammation, right? So you mentioned that, and I said that's what I should ask you because it's not the inflammation, because inflammation is a good thing, right? It's just once turned into these little fires working around the body turns into chronic inflammation then and that's becoming a problem and uh, i had a similar question to uh, terry walsh the other day also we had nice uh, half an hour podcasting and i asked her and you know she does autoimmunity uh, work with ms and i asked her what is the inflammation and exactly she said that's what we're discussing here is a good stuff it's just the problem once it's getting mess with uh, everything else that is happening uh, to our body and you mentioned that um that as well every every other thing that comes on our system and then our body cannot deal with that uh, anymore that's that's so beautiful very simple question vitamin d brendan people are clinically low right uh, what is the story with vitamin d and why do we need optimum level of vitamin D, maybe what is an optimal level of vitamin D to support our mental health? Yeah, that's, that's a fun question because uh, what I really like about science, which first off is, is just our <laughs> kind of our uh, monkey mind pursuit of objective truth. And we're just trying to make sense of the world around us. And so science is always catching up. It's always behind because we're, we're, we're just trying to make sense of the world around us. So we're, we're always way behind and we're, we're usually wrong. And that's kind of the whole point of creating scientific system is to uh, disprove what, what we think basically. And if you can't disprove it, well, then it must be kind of true, in which case we should accept that as truth and start building off of that platform of truth. And so my point with that, um, <laughs> weird esoteric statement is, is to simply say that when you really look at science, it constantly points us back towards nature. You know, the, the science of the microbiome, it, it destroys germ theory, which is still the leading medical paradigm. And in case, in case nobody noticed with uh, how 2020 went and this COVID thing, yeah, germ theory is still the leading theory, even though you know, microbiome research is just popping holes in that left and right. And, you know, that's given rise to this concept of the virome, which like, well, maybe viruses, you know. So anyways, but part of that with uh, vitamin D, it points us back to nature. It points us back to, yeah, you're, you're supposed to be living outside in the sun and get that exposure because obviously we all agree that that sunlight is hands down the best way to get your your vitamin D. So Vitamin D is, is a really interesting, um, I should, I, I try to be very grounded in science with, with what I say. So what we can safely say is vitamin D deficiency is a major risk factor for developing mental illness and neurodegenerative disease on top of, you know, all sorts of other conditions, but in regards to mental illness. 
And as far as some of the cool mechanisms at play, we see that vitamin D regulates the tight junctions of your gastrointestinal tract. So when we're talking about, you know, leaky gut, uh, well, vitamin D has a major regulatory role in leaky gut. Same thing with leaky brain. It regulates the tight junctions in the blood-brain barrier. And they're actually, with neurodegenerative research, um, now these, again, this is why I, I'm saying vitamin D deficiency is a risk factor. We can't yet say that vitamin D is a treatment, a cure for neurodegeneration, but the research is pointing us in that might be possible. We need to look into this more because the current studies are primarily on mice and what they'll do is take mice or, or bunnies or whatever and inject them with bacterial toxins like the polysaccharide to which that is very relevant to leaky gut, obviously with endotoxemia and all that. But they take those bacterial toxins, inject them to induce inflammation, to induce brain inflammation, to uh, induce depressive like behavior and even induce neurodegeneration. So they, they set the stage with those bacterial toxins uh, and then they will administer super physiological doses of active vitamin D3 or calcitriol. And what we see is that, yeah, the vitamin D3 actually attenuates and mitigates and lowers and qualms that neuroinflammatory storm. And it gets a little bit more technical. I don't think we need to get that technical. But yeah, vitamin D is a, a major player in regulating all of these crucial gut-brain axis mechanisms that really set the stage. So you know, of course, yeah, taking vitamin D3 is great. Um, it still has to be converted to its active form. That requires magnesium. And we see magnesium and vitamin D deficiency all the time. So those two things kind of go hand in hand. So, you know, getting your sunlight, getting your nature time, supplementing as needed, especially with seasonality and seasonal affective disorder. Hey, I mean, you know, from like October to March, you're just not going to get adequate sunlight exposure unless you live like at the equator or something depends on your region. Um, but as far as like serum levels, you have to look at the, the 25 hydroxy D3, which is what is normally measured, but you also kind of need to look at the, the active form, the calcitriol that's not normally measured. So usually when somebody's like, Oh, my vitamin D was at 60, yeah, that's the pro hormone, not the active hormone. And sometimes there's an imbalance with those two. Uh, so it's helpful to look at both. But as far as optimal levels, there's a little bit of debate about that. Um, it used to be like 60 to 80. But now people are starting to chatter of like, mm, it actually might be more like 40 to 60. And ultimately, we, we don't really know the body probably has some clever ways of like storing vitamin D through the winter or whatever. Um, but I would say anything under 40 is, is going to be like, Hey, you probably want to supplement and, and get a little bit more sunshine. And, uh, do you think that people uh, who experience mental health illnesses should definitely look at, at vitamin D level at some point of their life or that is, that is must think to do, go and check at the GP if you've got enough vitamin D? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, really crucial biomarkers that I, I think everybody that's struggling with mental health should, should be looking at. Different inflammatory markers, immunological markers, methylation markers, nutrient markers. So, you know, when I'm working with clients, you know, we do pretty extensive 
uh, workup to try to identify, again, all those compounding factors, right? Because, you know, we're all exposed to viruses or, or mold or, you know, bugs and, you know, toxins. We're all exposed, but if we're not giving our body the right nutrients to be able to handle that stuff. So I think sometimes uh, nutritional biochemistry gets overlooked and we're so gung-ho on all the fancy stuff. But, you know, my background, like nutritional biochemistry was my first love. So it's like, well, hey, you know, if you're zinc deficient, magnesium, vitamin D, you know, if you're nutrient deficient, all these things, that, that's probably the, the easiest, cheapest, most powerful way to give your body more metabolic resilience against the bad stuff. Yeah, that's true, right? Zinc, magnesium at the beginning of the uh, Krebs cycle, apologies, right? I remember when I was studying Krebs cycle at uh, my university, I was like, oh dear, what is that? Why do I have to learn this, right? I didn't think that later on I will need this. Exactly uh, the same was with pathophysiology. Uh, I was uh, learning that at, I think at third year at uh, university, I was studying at, uh, at um, Academy of Physical Education uh, in Poland. And I'm like, oh dear, just give me the note, <laughs> number one, uh, the best note, I mark, done, I go, leave it. I don't come back to that. But actually patho- pathophysiology and pathology is a very interesting thing. And I, I think I would call now the guy who told me say really you were right <laughs> this is where uh, we have to uh, look at uh, listen brendan i asked you in the question before what are the symptoms that someone would be experiencing that could point him out there is some brain inflammation right uh, you mentioned gut and i leave specifically gut brain for a dessert maybe that is going to be another of our podcasts i just didn't want to go into that because it's another big um uh, big discussion and conversation but um, let's give some clue to someone right that there is something maybe happening and actually you can do something about this absolutely it, it it's uh it really depends on on the individual and and what their terrain is looking like and what their genetic predispositions but it could really just be any sort of cognitive complaint depression anxiety and insomnia and brain fog those are probably just the most common you you see so many people struggling with uh focus and attention or memory relapse and and poor memory recall you know brain fog is a big one although usually I, I find usually brain fog is more related to like an underlying fungal or bacterial issue or something like that. But as far as like inflammation specifically, um, I would say the, the top three are going to be depression or depressive symptoms, uh, anxiety, and then insomnia. Because when you look at what inflammation does to the neurotransmitters, inflammation lowers your serotonin, which is your happy, feel good hormone. It lowers your GABA, which is your chill, laid-back, anti-anxiety hormone. It lowers dopamine, which is your reward, pleasure, focus neurohormone. And then it raises glutamate, which is your anxiety-inducing hormone. So, you know, when you look at how inflammation causes the chemical imbalances in your brain, well, then, yeah, you know, ADHD or ADD, depression, anxiety, insomnia, all of those, those, those are the more just common and fundamental. And some of the other things are a little bit more 
like epigenetics on fire kind of situations. Right, fantastic. And how someone, oh, what someone can do about this? Let's say they're experiencing this um, inflammatory conditions of the brain. And what can they do uh, in terms of lifestyle, nutrition? Let's be broad here. There is, again, big conversation. We can create so many podcasts just on those questions, right? But let's give someone some beautiful buffet of information from all, um, you know, epigenetics Side, right Bre- uh, the environment the nutrition lifestyle exercise maybe you've got some specific suggestions how they can start i really think start and put foundation to feel better yeah no absolutely i i think kind of painting some some broad brush strokes is is really what what's most powerful because it's one of those um if these foundational principles are in place and you're still really struggling that that's where you yeah you probably need to do some lab testing dig deeper you know do some specific cleanup on some of those specific root causes that might be going on but without the foundation it doesn't matter so what is that foundation with the lifestyle and the diet and i i love it because it really again just points us back to a more primal and natural way of living and this is where a lot of times when i'm doing podcasts and before kind of getting lost in the weeds, I always like to just point out, you know, we're, we're the only species in existence, as far as we know, that lives dysbiotically with the natural world, right? Like we are the only species that doesn't live in homeostatic harmony with the natural environment. We started detaching, you know, it, it started with building homes and developing agriculture. And here we are, how many, however many thousands of years later, where we're living in the matrix, right? Like we're, we're living in, in artificial homes and we're eating artificial fake processed food and we're not moving, we're not immersing in nature, we're not really connecting heart to heart energetically, we're just connecting through the virtual matrix. So, you know, it, it's really no wonder, right? So how do we combat that? How do we uh, return to symbiosis in a modern detached world? And so this is where okay, you know, breaking it down of, well, move, move well, move often, move, movement as medicine, you know, whether that's 10,000 steps a day with your little Fitbit, whether that's doing a CrossFit or, or yoga, it, we, you know, that, that's a podcast in itself of exercise programming, but just move, move well, move often, move a lot. We are designed to be constantly moving follow the circadian rhythm, follow the rhythm of nature, rise with the sun, fall asleep with the sun, use your sleep hygiene, don't let artificial light, right? Like, I remember when I was a kid, I used to sit in the dark all the time because I didn't like artificial light. My mom would come downstairs, Brandon, why are you sitting in the dark? I'm like, I, I don't like artificial light. And so even as a kid, I didn't know why. I just intuitively, I don't like artificial light. I just want if, if it's light outside, great. If it's dark outside, it, then it's dark, right? And instead, we're, you know, blasting our retinal cones with blue light constantly, or uh, social isolation has actually been shown in the literature to induce microglial activation and, and brain inflammation, social isolation. And what, what are we being told to do through this whole crisis is isolate yourself, right? And we're a social species. We, we actually are not that different than bacteria. Uh, in fact, we're super organisms. We have more bacterial cells in us and on us than we have human cells. So 
you know, we are basically just big bacteria walking around in a lot of ways. And when you look at how bacteria and microbes live and live together symbiotically, it's not like this bacterium is just going to do whatever it wants. No, it's part of a greater colony of bacteria. They're all feeding off one another. And so my point being, humans are no different. We are supposed to come together. We are supposed to serve one another and work towards the collective good, not the singular good. So reconnecting with people and community and reconnecting socially, reconnecting with mother nature with its circadian rhythm, eating nothing but clean, real food from the earth, which I, I realize that's a loaded statement in today's world, but just, you know, if, if you can afford organic whole food and, you know, I, I hate how whole foods is really expensive and it's owned by Amazon that kind of corrupts it a little bit, but Hey, grow your own food, like start growing a garden. There's so much beauty from the experience of growing your own food and you have control over the quality of it. There's no, you know, so there's a lot more that we can do if we choose to take our power back rather than remain unconscious consumers. So get that sleep hygiene on point, get that movement on point, get your nature time, reconnect with loved ones, unplug from the matrix that is a toxic mind trap that's trying to take all of your time if you let it. So it really are these, these, these fundamentals that we all know, but if we all know it, knowing's not enough. At some point, you have to start applying it. And instead, people tend to kind of bypass that of, well, let me just go get a pill from my doctor for that. Or, or now, well, let me just go to my functional person, do a bunch of lab testing and get a supplement protocol to fix all that. No, like take your power back and, and empower yourself. That's, that's where the magic is. And uh, uh, I'm, I've been thinking while listening to you, how would it be good if we could turn for a moment and uh, again be a kid or child, right? Because you said something intuitively, I knew that I have to switch off the light and don't sit there with light, right? That's why in my practice, uh, that's why I think we also very much align, uh, Brandon, uh, in my practice, I always point out just you know maybe this is not supplement maybe this is not about testing maybe this is about that inner child inner self your psychology whatever is there happening that is important to address because as you mentioned at the start that also can be toxic as eating toxic food or being in a toxic uh, you know moldy environment at home this is all toxicity and i think um, people have to and that is the point of this conversation, start to tuning outside of what they've been told and further connecting with inside of themselves and who they really are, right? Again, we have so many topics for so many amazing podcasts here. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, you talked uh, a lot. I didn't, talk, I didn't mention that um, uh, specifically sleep, but you uh, also talked about circadian rhythm, how that is important. And um, can you please only briefly give us a clue what is BDNF? Because you're talking yeah. a lot on the Instagram, right? I yeah. knew I've learned about this from A4M, uh, yeah. from uh, my fellowship um, uh, course and uh, program. But I'm sure people say, what's this that? He's talking about this a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, I, I like, uh, that's a fun thing to talk about. So I'm glad you threw me a bone with that. But um, 
so brain drive neurotrophic factor or BDNF has, has become a very popular subject uh, in functional medicine and biohacking and everything in between. And for good reason, if there was such a thing as a molecule of mental health, um, that's it so far. And unless we, unless we find something new, that's just even more powerful. Uh, but essentially the whole concept of neuroplasticity, which it's interesting <laughs> and I'm trying to be choosy with my words. I, I think it's interesting because there's a lot of people talking about neuroplasticity and that's cool. And I, I like their different take on it, but honestly, I feel like people are totally missing the mark. Um, and so I won't say any specific names, but sometimes I, the, the way that I see people talking about neuroplasticity, like it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's profound, but I feel like they're missing the mark a little bit because maybe they're coming at it from more of a quantum perspective or an esoteric or a purely psychological and controlling your mind sort of thing. And the reason that I feel very strongly more about approaching it from the physiological side is like when I was struggling with my mental health uh, in my early 20s and, and was severely depressed and, and suicidal and all sorts of bad things, I never felt like I had a bad outlook. I never felt like, oh, this is my psychology. And I mean, you know, we all have work to do, right? We all have trauma to overcome and, and evolve out of and, you know, the wounded inner child. There, there is that. But you can do all the positive thinking you, you want. You can do all the introspection or inner child healing or shadow work or poly, you, whatever you want to call that. You can do all of that. But if your brain is on fire because of all these pro-inflammatory, pro-oxidative input signals, you're not going to get very far. So BDNF, it is the protein that regulates neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, which is how we rewire and heal our brain. So there's a lot of interest on neuroplasticity and BDNF, especially for mental illness and neurodegeneration, because what we see as neuroinflammation goes up, neuroplasticity goes down. And it's really that simple of the brain is on fire. What happens when something's on fire? It, it burns up and eventually burns in, into ash. It gets destroyed versus neuroplasticity is how we uh, create new neurons and how we rewire the way that our neurons are communicating. So my point is like, let's say you're really traumatized, you know, PTSD and, and childhood trauma, which, you know, that's a very real thing. And you do have to do the psychology and kind of quantum and, you know, take control of your thoughts. But if your brain is on fire from, you know, insulin resistance and toxic burden and bad gut health and nutrient deficiencies and all of these things, if all you're doing is exclusively focusing on psychology, you're not going to get that far. It's kind of hard to create a new belief system, a new neural network, if your physiology is so skewed where inflammation is high and neuroplasticity is low. So learning how to promote, uh, basically the way that I teach it is we have to decrease neuroinflammation and promote neuroplasticity and BDNF. And that's, that's really what I primarily do these days. And that's why we have to sleep early, right? Going out yeah, hour. The whole thing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly, it. right. Um, uh, that's why I, um, uh, one of my questions was uh, about three top adaptogenic herbs because adaptogenic herbs are able to take the fire off the brain, right? And um, uh, but thank you so so much for um, 
the the thought of um, what do we what we were saying? You know, I I go into question and maybe comes uh, comes on the way because I jumped into another question and my thought uh, went off. Um, okay, so let's go then into this three top adaptogenic herbs that able to support the production of the BDNF and um, yes, help help helping us optimize our brain. What are the top three? Ooh, top three. Um, top one. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's a lot of them. Uh, there's a lot of herbs, botanicals. There's a lot of nutraceuticals. Um, the, I'll simply say that all those fundamental lifestyle things that we we're talking about, all of it, all of that, like exercise and sunlight are going to be and probably sleep. Like those, those are really like the top three big factors. So we, we can very safely say, you know, these uh, supplements we're talking about can be helpful, but not without the, the fundamentals in place because yeah, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, actually zinc. I mean, it's not nerve, I, I realize, but I would say zinc is probably way more powerful. But as far as like botanicals and herbs, oh my gosh, curcumin, resveratrol, terastilbene, quercetin, uh, olive leaf. I mean, I, I literally have a slide in my slide deck of probably like 20 or 30 different herbs and adaptogens and botanicals. So, you know, all of the popular herbs and botanicals that are really popular these days, like curcumin and stuff. Yeah, all of them. They all, they all do help reduce inflammation and, and raise BDNF. So, you know, that's where doing some basic nutrients, zinc, magnesium, D, multivitamin, C, K2, so on and so forth, you know, maybe take some, some adaptogens on top of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I love protocols is like, I understand that changing every aspect of your lifestyle and, and environment and psychology that's a never ending journey. That's a lot of work. So that's why I do like protocols is, well, let's give you some pills that can start making the, the work a little bit easier. And that's always what I want is to make that as easy as possible. So yeah, re really good consideration. Fantastic. Maybe, uh, you know, actually, uh, it's, uh, it's great that you turn this uh, that way, uh, instead focusing further on adaptogenic herbs, because here we're kind of having head and shoulders, <laughs> right? Because magnesium does lots of job on, for example, insulin resistance, right? And support that. And at the same time can help us with uh, improving BDNF. And I think we always wanted that people having just five three to five maybe quality supplements that actually they can do a wide job instead of having like a stock of cupboards in of shopping shop at home right so yeah. that's often happen with my clients right oh, i tell absolutely. them one thing then they sending me three more can i buy yeah. this and this and this right yeah. um so but as you said if we would love to uh, support someone getting faster there is always way this is why biohacking is coming right there is yeah. always a way to uh, get things a bit uh, faster and now uh, and as i remember uh, about the comment i wanted to make uh, i wanted to make uh, once you've been talking about uh, this mindset and that it's not just that you cannot just uh, change um, uh, the pattern of thinking if your brain is inflamed, the same as if you cannot forget of working on your psychology. Again, we're coming back that, that this is a uh, symbiosis in, in between. You cannot just separate things, right? Oh, okay, today I'm going to work on a gut 
and I just completely forget about nervous system. Or I'm going to work about on my emotion towards food, but I'm not going to work work towards emotions to my relationship. This is all coming uh, together. So thank you also for um, giving your uh, view uh, on that. As we going into food, and one of our last question, what top foods? Brandon loves to eat. <laughs> I'm dropping this in, but also what top foods uh, you suggest, Brandon, on your protocols for your clients that they struggle with uh, mental health issues? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good, good, um, good question because the, the dietary strategies, I, I think we really overcomplicate nutrition these days, right? I, I, I miss the days when like paleo was all you know there was paleo there's atkins there's mediterranean and i never i was never a, a diet you know it's just it's just food right and and you create bioindividuality with your nutrition so i've never ascribed to any individual diets but but my point being now we just keep complicating it further and further because it's like okay there's keto and intermittent fasting and vegan and plant-based and carnivore and frugivore and and it's just like, how many ways can we keep overcomplicating? Uh, whereas I've just always been of the mindset of, yeah, uh, real food from the earth sourced as clean as, as possible. And follow your intuition. Your, your body is really good at guiding you towards the foods that you want if you actually listen. And there's a big difference, obviously, between, yeah, my brain is telling me to eat those Pop-Tarts. No, 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 that's a chemical addiction. But like once you kind of break out of the chemical addiction, no, your body will guide you like, oh man, a salad sounds really good. Or actually like, I'm really craving a big juicy steak or, you know, some eggs. That sounds, you know, your body's good at that. So I just want to make that note. But um, again, I, I would say just like a primal paleo-esque, that should be the starting point in developing a healthy relationship with food and yourself. Uh, because there's, there's no specific dietary strategy that is worth it if it's creating orthorexia and neurosis and unhealthy eating behaviors. And so like with intermittent fasting, does the literature suggest that intermittent fasting can have an antidepressant like effect? Well, yes. But if then you're driving yourself crazy of like, no, it's not my eating window yet. So I better not eat. Well, it defeats the purpose. So, you know, but with, with that sort of disclaimer, yeah, I mean, intermittent fasting has some mental health benefits in reducing inflammation and boosting neuroplasticity. A ketogenic diet, or 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 maybe I should rather say ketones, whether that's from a ketogenic diet or exogenous ketone supplementation, or if you're metabolically flexible, you're going to dip into ketosis sometimes naturally. The whole point of fasting is to have the flexibility of if you need to go for 12 to 24 hours without eating, well, you can, like you have that capacity. You're not going to get hangry and lose your mind. Um, so I do think kind of flexing the fasting muscle is, is helpful. Um, but gut health is so huge too. So that's where like the prebiotics and all the polyphenols from all the different plants that we're ingesting, getting all those, you know, root foods and tuber foods that are dense in prebiotics that feed our gut bacteria. Cause the short chain fatty acids are so protective for the brain. So, and, and fish oil, I mean, that should be one of the key supplements, your omega threes that tends to get glazed over anymore, but you know, the omega three, omega six ratio, 
omega threes, yeah, along with zinc and you know folate and some of these other nutrients, some of the most important for for brain health. So, but this is where you know as people go from kind of standard American and just start going toward towards a more paleo primal whole food diet. Once you get there and you have a healthy, happy relationship with it, if you want to experiment with some of these other strategies, go for it, but don't, don't try to jump ahead. You know, you, you don't go from couch to marathon, you go from couch to 5k to 10k to half marathon to full marathon. So you can't skip a beat there. Yeah, I agree with you. We just, uh, generally, I think as a practitioners as, and as a clients, we overthinking, we overdoing, we, we over everything uh, because um, just taking, I'm thinking of myself, uh, clients coming to uh, see me and they already know what I would tell them and then they want more. Like I always say, I cannot make a broccoli more broccoli, broccoli, <laughs> broccoli, right? And I think exactly in a, a beautiful way that I you uh, describe what is happening with the with the industry and indeed 20 years ago 15 years ago when I started as a fitness uh, professional um, it was much simpler <laughs> than yeah. now right just eat yeah. well eat healthy and but uh, as you said maybe because there is a race of chronic situations and this complex situations that's why uh, things getting a little bit uh, over complicated uh, brendan yeah. that was so amazing to talk with you if um, if you will only be happy to join a brain uh, gut connection discuss a little bit more i would really really appreciate but in meantime how can we find you oh yeah I, no it, this has been so much fun a real pleasure so i appreciate the opportunity and I'd be happy to talk about gut brain stuff any day. Uh, but as far as finding, I'm not too hard to find on the internet. The Instagram is kind of my main platform that I just pump out content onto. So that's at the Holistic Savage. Uh, but my business name is Metabolic Solution. So if you Google it or look it up on Facebook, you'll you'll find us. But um, that's where you can tune in to see you know all the crazy things i'm talking about on a daily basis so i really appreciate you beautiful thank you so much brendan uh thank you everyone and uh i hope you know you enjoy this podcast and you get something for yourself for your family for your body for your mind for your spirit for your brain <laughs> so you are really creating you know joy and finding purpose in your life thank you everyone and speak and see you next time and on our next episode next week take care thank you again <laughs> <laughs>